Well, you've heard me tell you many times before that in the Bible, the body of Christ is pictured as a a physical body with many different members. And as we look at that uh, image, it tells us in that same passage that sometimes the hidden parts of the body, the things that seem less essential, are some of the most important. And this morning, I want to invite Robert and Rosalinda Cubios to come up here because um, Wayside Chapel is not just, as we've talked about also, the people you see right up here on the platform. Uh, Robert, uh, Bobby as we fondly call him, is, is a part of the body that for many of you, you may not see uh, as much as you see somebody like myself, but Bobby's been a part of our church for more than 30 years on our custodial team here. We call our facility staff our ministers of first impression because they really set the table for everything that happens here. And uh, Bobby joined our team back in 1987. Some of you were not even born back then. Uh, but I want to just let you see uh, a faithful, unseen, unsung part of our body with Rosalinda and Bobby. And Bobby, you wanted to share a few words this morning. Sure. Um, I just wanted to say uh, thank you to um, our church family for the privilege, the opportunity, and the blessing that it is to work here and to come alongside y'all as we seek to follow our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and to God be the glory. Thank you. Will you join me as we thank him, please? Thank you, Robert. Thank you, Rosalinda. Robert wanted me to tell you that he started work here at the age of 14, so, uh, was, but these, these are uh, the parts of our body that, as I said, are, are unseen but are so vitally important, so when you see people like uh, Bobby or Armando or Britt that keep things running around here, please tell them thank you for what they do. Well, there's a little girl who heard the story of Snow White for the first time. And she loved the story so much that she ran to her father and she began to retell the story with great fanfare. She recounted how Prince Charming rode in on his white horse and how he came and uh, woke Snow White with a kiss. And as she was uh, telling this story, she said to her dad, and do you know what happened next? And the father smiled and said, yes, honey, they lived happily ever after. And she said, no, dad, they got married. Now, as you know, being married isn't a fairy tale. Uh, it requires hard work at times. But friends, if you think that when you get married, the happily ever after has to end, then you're reading the wrong story. Because as we've been going through the Bible in the book of Ephesians, we've seen over the last couple of Sundays that God has given us a design uh, for what a marriage should look like, for the roles of the husband and wife in that marriage relationship. And as we turn in our Bibles again here to Ephesians 5, uh, verse 33, what we see is God gives us another piece of the puzzle. As he tells us in Ephesians 5, 33, Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. 
Now, if you've missed the past two Sundays or one of the two, I'm going to encourage you to go back and listen to those messages online because all that we've been talking about uh, builds on, on itself. Uh, we've spent a lot of time talking about the role of husbands and loving their wives. And so today we're going to focus on this, this part of the uh, puzzle package that says the wives are to respect their husbands. But if you miss those messages, let me just remind you of uh, give you a, a brief summary of what we've seen. Society has taken and corrupted God's design for the home. And it's taken things like the concept of biblical submission. And it's said that that's a bad thing. Uh, it, it defines the role of a wife in that relationship as a second-class citizen, a doormat. But what we've seen is God's design actually elevates the wife. And it, it places her in a position where the husband is to uh, have a relationship of mutual submission, one where he is the servant leader. His role is to be the one who, just as Christ loved the church and gave his life up for her, the husband is to love his wife that way, sacrificially, being willing to even die for her. He's not this benevolent dictator, but he's a servant leader in the home. Uh, we've talked about in the next message how as we fulfill God's roles for us as husband and wife, we'll in turn have our own needs met. Uh, secular studies tell us as they've studied men and women and they've said, what are, the, what are the needs that men and women have? They found that the number one need for a woman is to feel loved, to feel loved in that sense of security and safety that comes in that relationship. And the number one need for a man is to be respected. And we see that here in Ephesians 5.33, God who designed man and woman, God who gave us marriage, God who gave us the rule book for life, the owner's manual called the Bible, tells us here in verse 33, husbands, love your wives, and wives, respect your husbands. Now, as you hear that word respect, I'm sure there are a few people here who have the words of Aretha Franklin's song uh, going through your mind, so let me just help you out with that for a moment. Some of you are out there, you know. <laughs> now, as you're, you're listening to that song, it's a great song. It topped the charts in 1967. And it's been, uh, in our day, it's become the, the song of the women's empowerment movement, hasn't it? And yet, as you listen to that song, if you go through, it, it talks in there about how the woman's out making money, and when she comes home, there better be respect. And then it, it talks about her need for loving, you know, give it to me. Uh, but what you may not know about that song is it was originally released two years earlier. In 1965, it was written by Otis Redding, and he released that song, and the, the message is a little bit different. I want you to listen to the words of Otis Redding's version. If you listen to Redding's rendition, it's not a song of empowerment. It's a desperate plea of a man for respect. 
He says in his song, all I'm asking is that you give me a little respect when I come home. You can do me wrong, honey, if you want to, but I only do me wrong while I'm gone. All I'm asking is give it to me, give it to me when I come home. And as you listen to the end of the song, he ends by repeating the words, got to, got to, got to have it. And as we look at the Bible this morning, we see God's word saying, husbands have got to have respect. It says in verse 33, the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Now, in Aretha Franklin's version, as she talks about respect, she says, find out what it means to me. So let's start with the definition of respect. This is a dictionary definition, a secular definition of respect. It says, respect is both a positive feeling of esteem for a person or other entity, such as a nation or a religion. And it also uh, carries with it specific actions and conduct representative of that esteem. It says, respect can be a specific feeling of regard for the actual qualities of the one respected, such as, I've got great respect for your judgment. It goes on to say, respect should not be confused with tolerance. Since tolerance doesn't necessarily imply positive feelings, rude conduct is usually considered to indicate a lack of respect. So does that mean that respect is like Otis Redding's song says? Even if you have to fake it, just show me some positive uh, feelings of respect? No. That falls far short of God's design. Uh, Certainly a wife's actions should communicate respect. There should be uh, outward signs of respect of a wife for her husband. But God's design goes much deeper than actions. It goes all the way to the attitude of the heart. This is why as you look at the word respect in verse 33 where it says, Wife, respect your husband. It's the Greek word phobeo. That word should sound familiar because we talk about phobias or fears. And that's the root meaning of the word. The word respect means fear. Now, as we saw back in uh, Ephesians 5.21, there it said to submit to one another in the fear of Christ. And what we talked about then is that that this is not a a cringing, uh, oppressive type of thing where we're afraid of the other person. Rather, it carries the the meaning of, of an awe, a reverence. And so just as we are to, when it says a wife is to respect her husband, it's this sense of of awe and reverence. Now, this isn't saying, guys, that we're at the same level as God. God is the one who deserves that that reverence and respect, that that sense of overwhelming awe of who he is. But we saw, as, as we looked earlier here in Ephesians 5, that this idea of the husband being respected is based upon the relationship of the wife ultimately to the Lord. You'll remember that the word submit that we looked at is the Greek word hupotasso. And hupotasso is a word that means to place under, to subordinate, or appoint and arrange in this order. It was actually a military term that spoke of the military chain of command. And so, as we saw, God's design in Ephesians 5, and we'll talk about next week in Ephesians 6, is for the family, you can think in terms of the children as being the enlisted troops in the home. And then you have the mom who's the colonel the bird colonel in the home, and then the husband is the general. And we talked last time about who made the husband general. Uh, So again, if you've missed the messages, look back at those. But ultimately, as you'll recall, the person who is at the top of the chain of command is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the head of the church, and Jesus is the head of the home. 
So when it says that a wife is to submit to the husband, or in this case, as we're reading now, to show respect to her husband, remember that we saw it said earlier, as to the Lord. When a woman shows respect or submission to her husband, ultimately it's God that she's doing this. And we as men are simply the secondary beneficiaries as husbands of our wives' respect. Respect is to be rendered to husbands because God has required it, not because husbands have earned it. Um, as we looked, we saw in, Ephesians, in uh, 1 Peter 3, 1, where it said, Wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. Let's just be real for a moment. There are some men that are not worthy of respect in the eyes of their wives. They're lazy. They're mean or cruel. They're not doing anything that God has called them to do. And you may say, well, my husband is not deserving of respect. But ladies, as we talked about previously in a message, we're not to live according to the world's broken way of doing things. The world, you'll recall, says that we're at one end and our spouse is at the other. And the way that we're to deal with each other are to kind of have this back and forth where we meet in the middle. And we talked about the loser's game of what if your spouse isn't doing all they should? How far do you go to meet them? And then how much do they owe you the next time? And it's a broken system. But God has not called us to live under the broken system of the world. Rather, what he's given us is the design where we think more in terms of a triangle, where God is at the pinnacle. And what we've seen is that God calls on us individually as husbands and wives to do our part to move up our side of the triangle to where God wants us to be. And as men become that sacrificial leader, that servant leader, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, you'll move to where God wants you to be. And ladies, as you show by your chaste and respectful behavior, as the scripture says, uh, you may be able to win your husbands over without a word. And God's design is, as we both become what he wants us to be, we end up meeting, not in the middle, but at the pinnacle, God's perfect design for the home. And this is, this is the picture that God has for us. Um, in the military, they have a saying, you salute the rank and not the man. You salute the rank and not the man. And what that means is, as you know, if you're uh, an enlisted troop, whether it's an NCO or an officer, you may say, well, this, this person, you know, hasn't earned my, my respect. You have a lot of career military enlisted people who suddenly get a, a butter bar lieutenant over them who comes in and they're, they think they know it all. And, and you're saying, you don't have a clue, but you salute the rank and not the man. Now, if you're the type of person who says, well, by position of authority, uh, my, my wife has to respect me, men, I want you to listen to the words of Colin Powell. Colin Powell was a four-star general and former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And he said, if a soldier ever forces others to salute the rank, then they've lost the real ability to lead and they should get out. A four-star general says, you don't ever point to your rank and say, hey, salute me because I'm, I'm higher than you. What he says is you earn that respect. Now, if you're sitting here saying, well, Colin Powell said get out, then I'm just going to get out of my marriage if things aren't working the way they should. That's not at all what God tells us to do. God, as the commander-in-chief, tells us not to get out of our marriage, but instead to get up the hill. I mean, if you're not worthy of respect, then become the man that is worthy of your wife's respect. And this is what he's calling us to do. And ladies, if you're saying, well, my husband isn't doing his part, what are you doing to help him 
get up his side of, of what God has called him to be. Remember that God said that a wife is the helpmate of her husband. And we saw that that word is, is not as society has defined it as this, you know, servant of the husband. It's an honorific word that God uses of himself. The word literally means that which brings one to fulfillment. We saw that it speaks of completing another, not being the competitor of the, of the husband, but you complete him. And so again, ask yourself, if, uh, if your man is not what, what he should be, what are you doing to help him become that? Many of you have heard of a pastor by the name of John Ortberg. He tells the story of a Fortune 500 CEO who was riding in a car with his wife down uh, a backwoods area. They were out for a, a day trip, just kind of driving around. And as they went out to this country area, they were running low on gas, so they pull into a service station. And the, the husband, uh, the attendant comes out. He says, would you fill up the car, please? And he goes into the bathroom, and his wife is staying there in the car. Well, when, it, when the husband comes out of the restroom, he sees his wife is out of the car and standing at the back talking to the attendant. And they seem to be very engaged in a conversation. So the husband comes walking over wondering what's going on. And as he comes up, the wife says uh, to her husband, she says, do you remember so-and-so? He's, he's a friend that I went to, to school with. We, we were in high school together. And the husband says, oh, great to meet you. And they talk. And uh, then the, the wife says, I'm going to finish talking to him for a moment. The husband gets in the car and the wife gets in and they drive away. Now, as they're driving down the road, uh, the husband remembers who this guy is. Uh, this, this was not just a friend. This was a boyfriend of his wife in, in high school. And as they're driving up the road, he's, he's sitting there feeling pretty good about himself. And his wife is just sitting there in silence, staring out the side window. And a couple more miles go by, and the husband uh, still sees his wife is silent. And, and he finally breaks the silence, and he says, uh, Honey, I bet you're sitting there thinking how glad you are that you married me, a Fortune 500 CEO rather than that guy, a gas station attendant. And the wife looks over at her husband. She says, well, I was actually just thinking how if I had married him, he might be a Fortune 500 CEO and you'd be a gas station attendant. (laughs) You know, there's a saying, behind every great man, there's a great woman. And men, that doesn't diminish who you are as a person. Who you are, uh, God has given you great gifts and skills and abilities, and you work hard at those type of things. But don't ever discount who your wife is and what she brings to the table. I can tell you that I'm the person I am today uh, because of the influence of my wife as well. We've been married 29 years. And who I am as a person and as a pastor, I could not do uh, the things that I do if I didn't have the full support and encouragement of my wife. And as you think in terms of who you are, uh, don't discount the role of your wife if God has blessed you with one. And ladies, as I said earlier, ask yourself what you're doing to encourage and strengthen and and help your man to be uh, all that you desire him to be. The, the Bible tells us the role of a wife is very important in the, the life of a husband. In Proverbs 31, which is the, the seminal passage that speaks of the godly wife, and it lists all these great characteristics of who she is. Listen to what it says in Proverbs 31, 23. 
Her husband is known in the gates in which he sits among the elders of the land. Now, why is that in there? Why does it say that the the wife has some effect on the husband and how he's seen in society? It says that because it's true. Uh, The way a woman acts can help or hinder her husband, not only in how he thinks in terms of himself, but also his standing in society. The things that a wife says about her husband uh, can torpedo him or it can elevate him in the eyes of others. Last week, I told the story of Johnny Lingo and the eight-cow wife. And uh, if you were here, you, you know the story about how uh, Johnny Lingo honored his wife by this, this high purchase price that he paid for her and how it changed her. Now, I had a lot of uh, women and men come up to me after that, that's, that illustration, and I heard people, you know, men proudly telling me, I have an eight-cow wife, and I, I had ladies also tell me, well, I have an eight-cow husband, and and I saw social media posts and Facebook things where people were telling stories uh, about their husband and, and how good he was to, to build them up and treat them that way. And, and sometimes it brought accolades from others where people said, wow, you've got a great guy. And yeah, I do. And, and, um, but the way that a woman talks about her husband can build him up, not only in his own eyes, but also in the eyes of others. I want you to think about the times where you've seen a woman uh, criticize or slam her husband and what it's done to him. Have you ever been with a group of people or out at a dinner party or something and, and you, you just kind of see a, a guy suddenly deflate? You see him kind of, his countenance drops, he hangs his head and, and, and you know, it follows a, a remark that the, the, husband ma- the wife made about her husband. And it, it happens in, in church settings as well. I've been in Bible studies or prayer meetings where a woman will uh, start talking about her husband. And ladies, it happens in reverse. Men, you do this to your wives. But remember this morning, we're focusing on this issue of wives and respect for their husbands. And not only can it damage the, the esteem of the person and the standing of that person within a group, because sometimes it's a short-lived problem, but other people remember the criticism that you brought in. But another dangerous thing that I see happen sometimes is it sets off a feeding frenzy. You know, one, one wife criticizes her husband and another one adds in, well, mine's worse. And before long, everybody's, you know, tearing down their spouse instead of building each other up. Now, I'm not telling you that we're to be fake plastic people and smile and say, everything's great in my home and I've got a great spouse. Uh, but you, you, you need to have support and your, your spouse needs prayer. But ask yourself if the setting in which you're sharing these things is really appropriate. Ladies, it it may be better that you talk to a trusted, mature, godly woman in a one-on-one private conversation and say, you seem to have a good marriage or, you know, what what can you help me to do here to help my husband to be more like he needs to be? So do it in a private setting where you can get counseling and where somebody can pray and support you rather than throwing it out in a public setting. You know, none of us here have a perfect spouse just as none of us are a perfect spouse. So instead of complaining about the one we have, look for the ways we can help them to become the one we want. Remember God's design. Wives, by your chaste and respectful behavior, your husband may be won over without a word, even if they're disobedient to God's design. I said in an earlier message that if a man wants to be treated as a king, the best way to be treated that way is to treat his wife as the queen that she is. And ladies, it works in reverse as well. 
There was a woman named Nancy Anderson who wrote a book called Avoiding the Greener Grass Syndrome. And in it, Anderson tells how even though she and her husband were Christians, she says our marriage was a mess. It was falling apart. Neither she nor her husband were, were fulfilling the, the standards that God had set for them. She said, my husband, Ron, admits that he used to be a jerk. But I discovered a secret formula that helped him to turn into the loving husband that I wanted. She said, I started treating him like a VIP. Ron always wanted me to respect him, but I thought he had to earn it. And I had to feel it before I could do it. Wrong, she says. Well, what does VIP stand for? V stands for verbal. I is intellect and P is physical. Now, we're going to unpack this as we go through this. So let's start with the, air, the verbal area. Anderson says, uh, we women are very good at pointing out our husband's faults and failures and punishing them for not meeting our needs. But that only leads to discontent and distance in our marriages. We all know that yelling and nagging and belittling are disrespectful and ineffective. So ladies, she says, let's just cut it out. If you can't go cold turkey, at least start by cutting back. Now, men, as I said, we're focusing on wives toward their husbands this morning, but I want you to hear this as well because it affects our wives the same way. And as we're going to talk about next week in Ephesians 6, 4, it says their fathers do not exasperate or provoke your children. The way that we ride our, our spouse or our kids can tear them down. And God is very clear that our words have, have great power. And he says the way that we treat others uh, can build them up or tear them down, as we saw earlier in Ephesians back in chapter 4, where we talked about the area of our speech. Our words are like magnets. So think in terms of compliments and criticisms being the opposite sides on a magnet. You know that if you flip a magnet a certain way, it will attract another one. But if you turn it over, it will repel that magnet. And that's, that's our words. Compliments are attractional, and criticism can push somebody away. All of us can benefit from this principle of more compliments than criticisms. Um, when it comes to your words, women, I want you to hear what Proverbs 20, 21.9 says. It says, it's better to live in the corner of the attic than with a contentious woman. I want you to picture uh, the hottest day here in San Antonio in the middle of the summer when your attic's about 160 degrees and how your husband would rather live up in the corner of a hot attic than with you as you're criticizing. Proverbs 21.19 goes on to say, it's better to live in a desert than with a contentious and vexing woman. woman. Our words can build up a man or drive them away. You can turn to 2 Samuel chapter 6 when you get home and read the story of David and his wife, Michael. David was the king, and he had married the daughter of King Saul, Michael. And you'll recall that there in 2 Samuel 6, it's telling how as the ark was being brought into the city, David, the king, was so joyous, he stripped off his royal robes, and he went out, and he was wearing nothing more than a linen ephod. It was like his underwear. And he was out dancing before the ark in full view of everybody. He was so excited. He, he cast everything aside and he was just worshiping the Lord. Now his wife was watching from an, uh, you know, a palace window and, and she was embarrassed. The Bible says that she literally despised her husband in her heart. She's like, he's the king. Look at how he's acting. He's making a fool of himself. 
And when he came home, uh, she didn't hold back. She told him what she thought about his behavior. And it says in 2 Samuel 6.23, the result is, it says, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children till the day of her death. What it's telling us here is a wall was put up between David and his wife. Her words were so damaging, so disrespectful to him that, that it shorted him out. You'll recall if you were here last week, I talked about the different ways that men and women are wired. I said that, that wives are, are a lot like an oven that has to be preheated, where lovemaking starts days and weeks in advance of the actual event, where men are more like a microwave. Remember that? Ding, we're ready. Um, but I said, ladies, you can short out your husband. You can unplug the microwave. And this is what happened with David. His wife disrespected him, and it came to a point where even though she was a beautiful woman, he no longer desired her, and he ostracized her. He put her away, and they never had relations again, which is why she was childless. So as you think in terms of your husband, ladies, think of the the weight of your words, the power that that they have in terms of, of the effect on your husband. Now, as I said earlier, some men are not really worthy in your eyes in in a rightful way of respect. But I want you to think in terms for a moment about uh, your husband. Is he really without a single redeeming quality? Because sometimes the real problem is in our own hearts. Few people are completely without a redeeming quality. And sometimes the inability to see anything praiseworthy in another person is a problem with ourselves. Maybe we become so embittered. Maybe we become so hardened toward them, uh, unwilling to forgive a past hurt, that this is what has put up a wall between us. As we're talking about what to do with your husband, it, it, may need the, it may mean that you need to start with what's going on in your own heart. If you can't find something to praise your husband for, I want you to think in terms of what may be going on in your own heart. Ladies, I'm not telling you to go out and nominate your husband for the Nobel Peace Prize. Um, But is there something that you can compliment your husband on? Maybe it's the way that he mowed the lawn or moved something for you. Maybe it's uh, the way that he he treats the kids. If if your relationship is strained, look at at how he is with the kids. Does he encourage them? Is Is he a good father to your kids? Do they love being around their dad? Is he a good provider? I mean, look at your husband and, and see if there's something that you can, you can show respect or compliment him for. There, your relationship, as I said, may be damaged. You may say there's nothing in our relationship. Well, ask yourself, is there any other relationship in his world that you can compliment him on? Is he a good coworker to his colleagues? Is he a good son to his mother or father? Does he honor his parents and take care of them? Is there something that you can look at? Maybe you say, well, you're, you're a good friend uh, to other people and, and you want that friend, you want him to at least be that way to, to you. And so you can start there and begin to encourage him. I'm not telling you never to, to go to your husband and say, look, there, there are some problems in our, in our marriage or I'm concerned about a decision or the way you're treating me or the kids. That's okay to do. But when you come to your husband, uh, the first thing you have to ask yourself is, is how are you doing it? I mean, do you come with double barrel shotgun and unload on him? 
Or do you come in a way that it's easier for him to hear? Uh, I want you to think in terms for a moment about eating a sandwich. You know, most of us, when we make a sandwich, there's two pieces of bread and we have the meat in the middle, right? And you can think in terms of when you correct your husband, when you come with a concern for your husband, it's kind of like making a, a compliment sandwich, okay? The first piece is the bread where you come with something positive. As I said, is there something in the relationship you can encourage your husband about? I love the way that you, you know, did this for us. Uh, if, if work is, is, is slim right now, then uh, you, can, you can thank him for what he's provided in the past. If he's somebody who works really hard uh, at the office, we'll, we'll talk in a moment about how to approach that. But what you can do is come with something positive and then come with the meat in the middle. That's your concern. Now, if you remember the old comic strip Blondie, Dagwood would make these monster sandwiches with all this meat. I'm not telling you to come with a truckload of, you know, concerns. Make it something that's easy to swallow. So come with a a positive thing, put the the meat in the middle, and then end with another positive. And you'll find it's easier uh, for the person to swallow. Now, this should go without saying, but I need to say it here because I I see it all too often. Uh, A good principle of correction, whether it's in your marriage or if you're a supervisor at work or anywhere else, is to praise publicly and correct privately. So many times in the home, a husband or a wife will unload on their spouse in front of their kids. And do you know what that does? It not only diminishes uh, the person and puts them in a, in a fight or flight type of situation in front of the kids, but it also lowers the esteem of your spouse in the eyes of, their ki- in, in the eyes of your children. And you may w- feel like, well, good, I want to take them down in the eyes of my kids, but that is wrong. Your, your husband should be the hero in the eyes of his children. And men, mom should be worthy of great esteem in front of the kids. And if you're correcting the other person in front of the kids, you're affecting uh, the way that your children view their spouse, your, your spouse, their mom or dad. So correct privately, but praise publicly. And find ways to... to, to Help the, the kids see the person positively. If, if you're upset, ladies, because your husband's spending all his time at work, don't come to the husband in front of the kids and blast him for that. Say to the kids, Dad works really hard to provide for us. But then when you get behind closed doors, say, look, honey, I appreciate all you're doing to provide for us, but we really would rather have more of you than more stuff. And is there a way to lower your time at work and spend more time with me and the kids? So that's a way that you you can come and and deal with these things. Now, as I said, your kids are going to learn to see your husband, their dad through your eyes, and men, your wife, their mom through your eyes. So this comes to the next area of I and VIP. It stands for intellect. We've just talked about accentuating the positives. And when it comes to the positives in terms of men, I want you to think just for a moment about society today. How are men portrayed in the media? Is it positive, ladies? Men are a bunch of bumbling fools or buffoons, right? Every sitcom has, has the dad being an idiot or a guy very uh, lacking in, in, in any quality that's worthy of respect. Society has, has been attacking and tearing down men in terms of uh, being these, these people that are oppressive to women. And again, I'm not saying that some of that hasn't happened, but what I am saying is when you think in terms of the way that the world 
portrays men. They've emasculated guys. They've beaten them down. And then I hear more and more women saying, where are all the good men? Ladies, we're reaping what we've sown as a society. And we need to find ways to affirm and build up the man. God has already said what the role of the man is. He's to be the head of the home, the leader. So make sure you're honoring that. As we talked about the wife being the man's helper, uh, remember that I told the men in that message not to miss the wisdom of their wives. God has given us our wives to, to bring what we lack and to draw upon the wisdom that they bring. Ladies, are you doing the same thing with your husbands? Are you affirming their abilities? Are you seeking their wisdom? Are you saying to them, uh, honey, I'm home with the kids more than you, but I, I want you to weigh in on this. I want you to help in, in this situation. You know, this can be a win-win because ladies, uh, maybe you figured this out. Men by nature are fixers, right? I've, I've had to have my wife tell me before. Now, Roger, I'm going to tell you something. Don't fix it. I want you just to listen. Can you listen? Uh, I can do that. Okay, good. Not, not like this, right? You can, you can use how God has wired your husbands to your advantage. For instance, instead of going to your husband and saying, when are you going to clean up that mess in the garage? I can't get my car in. All that stuff is there. I've been telling you for six months to clean out the garage. Instead, come to your husband and say, honey, I, I know you're good with solutions and systems and you figure problems out and, and we have a problem. You see, uh, I can't get my car in the garage. <laughs> and, and remember men, ladies' needs are for love and security so maybe she doesn't feel safe parking down the street or when it's bad weather so you want to get her car in the garage, right? So ladies, instead of saying you better clean up your mess, go in there and say, honey, you're really good at at figuring out solutions, and I, my car won't fit in here. Could you help me know how to, you see where this can work? Now, because I just mentioned that, you can't try that for six months with the car. So you're going to need to find something else. But this area of intellect is, is something that we need to be affirming. Again, I'm, I'm, don't fake it. Your husband's not a fool. I mean, if he's not good with tools, don't post that he's a great handyman, Right? <laughs> Uh, you know, but find something else he's good with. Now, the last P stands for physical, VIP, verbal, intellect, and physical. Now, it's no secret that men have a need for physical intimacy. Uh, women do as well. And ladies, I'll remind you that next Saturday here at Wayside, we have the Authentic Intimacy Conference coming. This will be a great opportunity to again have... Uh, a biblical worldview of what intimacy is to look like in your lives, not only in your marriage, but in your own personal thought life and other things. So if you haven't registered for that, you've got a great opportunity to be here next Saturday. There's still opportunity to register. Or there will be uh, walk-up registration if, if the conference is in full. But in terms of intimacy, this, this area of physical intimacy, uh, this is something else that we know has been corrupted in our culture. And as we're talking about loving and honoring and respecting one another, this is something, men, that you, you need to, to know in terms of your wife and her needs. I'm just going to be very blunt here because I know pornography is a rampant problem in our society. And it's not just with men. There's about 30% of women who are dealing with pornography addictions. But men, the fantasies that are painted through pornography are not real. 
and the way women are treated physically and in other ways in, in pornography is, is degrading and it's not God's design. And, and some of you have fantasies bouncing around in your head of things that you saw online or in a magazine and, and you want that in your marriage. And what you need to do is talk to your wife. And you need to uh, listen to her and her needs. And if she says, I don't want to do that, that makes me uncomfortable, that makes me feel uh, less than, than who I am, then men, you don't get that. You say, well, the Bible says that the, the wife is to, you know, we're not to deny ourselves except for times of prayer. Well, there's a difference between denying yourself and denying uh, things that are outside of God's design. So talk with your spouse, communicate. Ask one another uh, what, what their needs are, uh, but do not. You're to love and respect and honor your wife. And that doesn't mean that you, you ask her to do things that are going to make her feel not special. Now, ladies, as we've talked about already, uh, a lack of respect can happen in, in your marriage as well. And you can turn your husband off uh, by your words. Sometimes um, you know, the Bible says in Proverbs eleven twenty two, as a ring of gold is in a swine snout, so is a beautiful woman who lacks discretion. It says you can be a beautiful lady and your husband may not be responsive. And again, it comes back to communication. There may be a wall that has been put up between the two of you because of something in the past, a hurt that has happened or something. So God says you need to sit down and talk it through. We need to be willing to forgive one another as Christ forgave us. We pray that in the Lord's Prayer, don't we? Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And so this is an area that God's calling on us. This area of verbal uh, may be sitting down and communicating and saying, I'm sorry, I hurt you. How can I make things right? As you talk in terms of communicating needs, as I said, men, you, you need to be respectful of your wives. Now, ladies, if your husband comes to you and says, honey, could you wear something other than that floor-length flannel nightgown uh, that's just not doing you know, much for me, that's okay. Uh, and men, the same for you. That means don't wear your holy bowling shirt to bed. That may not be doing anything for your wife as well. So there needs to be communication. There needs to be this physical intimacy. God designed that as a gift to husbands and wives, and he tells us to enjoy it. Now, when it comes to uh, this part of loving and honoring and putting the other person above yourself, um, again, this is a problem in today's society because we live under this broken system that says, my needs, my needs, me first. There's a Christian psychologist named Dr. Larry Crabb. And he describes that many marriages today are like two ticks and no dog. I want you to get that picture for a moment. Two ticks and no dog. What are ticks? Ticks are parasites. They, they have one thing. They say, my needs. I, I have a need to suck the blood of a host. And they don't care anything about the, the, the host. And we have homes where we have uh, a husband or a wife who are saying, my needs, my needs. And they become two ticks without a dog because both of them get in this vicious cycle of a downward spiral of emotional and physical and other starvation. It, it may be where the, the wife says, he won't meet my needs for gentleness and kindness, so I'm not going to meet his needs for respect and admiration. And the husband is saying, well, she won't meet my physical needs 
uh, for intimacy, so I'm not going to give her her needs of conversation and cuddling. And, and we become this two ticks with no dog. And we're both holding out and waiting for the other person, right, to move to our side of the fence and saying, until you do what I need, I'm not going to do what you need. And we end up in this, this downward spiral of starvation. And the picture God has for us instead is to think in terms of two golden retrievers in a park. Ever seen two like goldens running around a park? They're barking and jumping around and playing and they're, they're rolling around and they're having a great time. They're not saying, your turn to, to do what I want. They're just saying, hey, as I meet your needs, my needs are getting met. And this is the picture God has for us. So if you're living in a home right now where your marriage isn't all that you want it to be, God has given us his design over the last couple of weeks as we've looked at in these messages on how to meet your mate's needs and how to have a happy home and, and uh, what it means to have respect and love in our homes. I'm not telling you it's going to be easy. It's going to take work. And many of you have problems that have built up over weeks and months and years. And it's not necessarily going to turn around in an instant. You didn't get where you are today in a day, and you may not get to where God wants you to be in a day, but you can begin the journey now to have the home that God wants you to have. Will you join me, please, as we go to the Lord in prayer? Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it reveals to us about you and your love for us and what our love is to look like for one another. Husbands with wives and wives with husbands. And Lord, as we talk in terms about homes that maybe are not all that you've designed them to be, Father, you've given us the, bl the blueprint, the map, to be able to find our way home. And Father, as I said, some of us have been walking away from each other and away from your design for a long, long time. And it's, it's been many steps and many miles away. Would you help us today, Father? to stop and turn around what you call repentance, to head back to where you want us to be. And Father, that starts with us being in a relationship first and foremost with you. And Lord, there are people here this morning maybe who have never started a personal relationship with you. And they need you, Christ, as the foundation. They need you not only as the head of the home, but the, the foundation in their own lives. And we thank you, Lord, that what you tell us in your word is that even if we've been running from you for years, decades, if we turn around, you're not hundreds of miles away. You're one step away, right there, waiting to receive us and redeem us and call us a son or a daughter. So I pray, Father, if there's anyone here today who needs to turn to you and come to faith, they would do so, turning from their sins and to you as their Savior. And Father, for us as husbands and wives who have sinned by not following your design, would you help us today to turn around and ask you to take us by the hand and help us to become the husbands and wives we need to be. Father, help us to have the homes we've always wanted. Help us to have homes the way that you want them to be, where we cherish and love each other. Help us to have homes that are lighthouses to the community around us for people who need to see that there is a better way than what the world offers. So, Lord, we commit ourselves to you today. We ask for your help. We ask that you would lead and guide us. We pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.